Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast. This is host Michaela. Thanks for being here. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness. We're so thankful you're here. This week, we have MVP's Stephanie Torres. She's going to be talking to us a little bit about living with an invisible disability and kind of what that looks like for her yoga practice. Um, So Stephanie, how are you today? I'm doing well, Michaela. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited that you're here. So do you have anything right off the bat you want to go with? Or do you want to tell us a little bit about your disability? Yeah, of course, can definitely uh, dive right into it. Um, So I was born with a uh, physical deformity known as clubfoot, which is a muscular skeletal um, deformity of the uh, muscles and and very often bones within the leg. Um, For a lot of people and the way that it expressed for me was that the muscles along the inside of the leg on my left side as I have it unilaterally, some people have it bilaterally, are shorter than the muscles on the external, which if you kind of think of it as like window blinds, if you pull one side up uh, and the other one, yeah, things go a little bit wonky. (laughs) Uh, So kind of same things with the uh, muscles of the body and that's what club foot is. uh, For many people, there are a few different types. but that's what it was for me. So when I was born, my leg was shaped like a little J, uh, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, in babies is not super duper pronounced as babies have that, you know, little tuck in. Um, but the first thing that the doctors did when they pulled me out of my mom's womb uh, <laughs> or, you know, uh, uh, pulled me out was the first thing that they made sure to do was uh, show her to me and say, we didn't do this. Uh, <laughs> Um, this is the way her foot is as it wasn't caught on any kind of ultrasounds or whatever. I was born in 92. Um, and so, uh, what that has meant for me as I grew up, um, I was casted and stretched from two weeks old. Uh, every two weeks I went in to have, uh, you know, be recasted to gently try and bring the leg to a more quote unquote natural position. Um, You know, what is natural? (laughs) And, um, and then on my first birthday, I had a full reconstructive surgery where they took kind of the whole foot apart and put it back together, pinned it in place, and then sealed it with a cast. Um, And, uh, yeah, uh, treatment um, in the 80s and 90s for club foot was very, inv- very invasive, very aggressive. And that is actually where the, I would say the largest amount of my uh, disability actually stems from. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so being that the surgery was uh, so invasive and moving bits and pieces around Uh, that aren't where kind of the foot developed those bones to be in utero, Um, you know, has left me with uh, things like premature arthritis at a very young age, 
uh, scar tissue all up and down the back of the Achilles tendon, um, which actually even impacts the clothes that I'm able to wear uh, as that area is so sensitive. Um, as well as lots of different nerve pinching, slight limb discrepancies, and an inability to really put on or maintain any meaningful muscle bulk in the calf, which is one of the ways that you can kind of visually see that someone, especially who has a surgically corrected uh, club foot, which they no longer do those really super invasive surgeries anymore, thankfully. Um, but you can still kind of see in a lot of, uh, referred to in, in, in the club foot uh, circles as clubbies, uh, <laughs> uh, is that they will very often have um, very, very minimal muscle mass on an affected leg. So there will be a sometimes slight, uh, but very often much more severe atrophying of the muscles of the affected legs. Uh, and so that's what clubfoot is, and <laughs> that's uh, that's what I've got. <laughs> My gosh! So a a full, complete re reconstructive surgery at one. Yes. <laughs> before your body's even done developing and growing, and wow. Mm -hmm. So now you said they don't do the invasive surgery anymore. Is it more of just like the casting and the kind of guiding the muscles to to form? in a different, more supportive way? Yes, uh, it's referred to as the Ponsetti method where you oh. are continually casted and re-stretched. And that was the standard even before I was born. Uh, I think the Ponsetti method has been in practice and kind of the standard from sometime at least around the 50s, uh, but the 80s and the 90s all the way up until about the year 2000. Um, the invasive surgeries were all of the rage as they very, they do often tend to lead to what most people, and again, uh, I use this very loosely, but would consider a more uh, aesthetically pleasing um, result, uh, which is why my disability is one that is more or less invisible, uh, unless you know what you're looking for. It does mostly look like, uh, an, and again, use this so loosely, normal leg. <laughs> um, that unless you know what you're looking for or really look at my feet, um, you can't really tell that there's anything there. I've seen your feet. <laughs> That's weird, but <laughs> I've seen your feet and I didn't know until you told me after the fact, after we met in person. Um, so absolutely. I. So the muscle atrophy, that probably impacts your asana practice a ton. A significant amount. Um, yeah. What does so that look I, like? Uh, it varies. <laughs> um, part of what I uh, deal with is, again, that muscle atrophy, but also because it, it is a structural deformity of the muscle tissue itself, uh, the left leg, which is my affected leg, is a lot tighter than my right leg. Um, you know, the muscles just won't lengthen in the same way. And if I can, through really regular uh, flexibility-based practice, get it to lengthen out, uh, it is very quick to kind of like snap back. <laughs> uh, and so in order to modify my practice, as there are lots of different factors that impact uh, 
you know, even my ability to stand day to day. Um, I was, uh, you know, there have been periods in my life where I, I have had to relearn how to walk uh, because different flare-ups would get so bad that I could not uh, stand or weight bear. And I'm very lucky that uh, that seems to have localized itself during puberty when all of a sudden, you know, everything was growing. There was a lot more stuff on top of <laughs> this poor little ankle joint. Um, but uh, what it looks like for me now is I do have a uh, nerve condition that was developed in the leg over, you know, long time wear, uh, again, because there is no cartilage within the foot joint at all. Um, <laughs> there are some days, oh, go ahead. Did you have a, a question? <laughs> Um, there are some days where I cannot stand. Um, there are some instances where I will wake up in the morning and be kind of more or less fine. Uh, and then all of a sudden have a flare and no longer be able to stand or wait there. Um, so my physical practice will very often look different day to day. Uh, some days I can do kind of minimal adjusting where it's just a matter of fixing my stance as because my foot was surgically reconstructed, there is very, very, very little mobility in the ankle joint. Um, so it does affect my stance. Uh, my balance is one that is really, uh, you know, difficult to maintain or gain on my left leg. So I very often, unless I'm snapping a picture to prove that I can do it, uh, which is something <laughs> that has been really empowering for my journey so far, just to be able to see that this might be something that I can't do like kind of super normally, but something that I never thought I could do before. Uh, unless I'm doing something like that, standing balances on my left leg are very rarely a part of my personal practice. Uh, and then there are some days where my practice is entirely grounded. Um, I do, really kind of lean towards more active practices uh, just again because I find them in general very empowering as I didn't have a lot of use of my body before I started the physical practice of yoga because of my condition. Um, you know some days I will still continue to do something like a power vinyasa but my uh, you know warrior twos I got a knee down on the floor. <laughs> Uh, sometimes it's all about arm balances because my foot doesn't want to touch the ground at all. Um, so different ways of finding use of my body uh, in ways that um, it doesn't yell at me for. <laughs> that was so beautifully put. And I'm so thankful that you found your asana practice so that you could find that expression. Um, yeah, um, super duper exciting. Uh, yeah first 24, 25-ish years of my life, I didn't, I've never been able to do things like run or jump. Um, and I don't know if I'm losing I you. think I might've lost you, Steffi. Oh, okay. Oh, there you are. Back. Yes, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, so all I was saying was that for the first like 24-ish, 25 years of my life, I wasn't able to do activities uh, like run, jump, um, you know, uh, very, very limited use of the leg at all. And through asana practice, when I finally came to it and was like, you know, everyone's been telling me my whole life that I should do this. And 
because uh, especially it being a muscle deformity, uh, you know, I could never do things like even hinge to a 90 degree angle on the legs because the hamstring especially was just so unbelievably tight. <laughs> um, you know, it, it has given me a lot of use of the body that I didn't have before. It did allow me to put on a little bit of muscle mass on my left leg. Um, the, the atrophying before I started practicing was much more severe. And through practice, I have been able to put a little bit on. Um, but also knowing that all of that is kind of temporary for me. Um, as the prognosis for people, especially again with surgically uh, surgically reconstructed clubfoot, especially from around the 80s, 90s, um, is not a great one. <laughs> um, yes, uh, just because having such an invasive surgery uh, does a lot of damage very often um, within, again, the joint itself. There are a lot of people who end up uh, relying very heavily on mobility aids and even some people who nerve damage does get so bad for they do have to have limbs removed. Um, and knowing, always kind of understanding that that is more or less the path that I'm on. I know that, uh, you know, yoga has given me time to kind of express my body in these super active ways that I never thought that I could before, that I never, you know, believed was possible, but also knowing and helping me be a little bit more okay with the fact that this isn't forever. <laughs> um, and that there are ways that I can modify my practice to keep practicing that don't require my leg. And isn't that the most, the best example of living in the practice, right? Because we're never in the same place, regardless of if it's your, a physical um, that you're dealing with or something, something else, you yeah. know, just being open to the fact that it's most likely going to change. Yeah. Um, and you know, that is, like you said, that is the practice. Yeah. Uh, and getting kind of preemptively okay with any and every possibility that lies ahead. Um, that in itself is also, uh, I would say for me, one of the more empowering pieces of yeah. practice. I love that. The Ashvara Pranidhana, the surrender. Yes, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I have a lot of questions in my head. Let me pick one. <laughs> you don't have any cartilage in your ankle. Correct. So they took it out or it just wasn't there because of the deformity itself. It's not super clear to me how much would have been there beforehand, but the way that all of the bones, uh, you know, surgical procedures and whatever can do just damage to it yeah. uh, in general, but uh, wear and tear of bones that are not quite shaped to really fit together in ways that, you know, the body generally does creates a whole lot more wear and tear on, you know, any joint that you have. Um, so over time it has been the, and I'm not super great with the exact anatomical terms, but the leg bone has been grading against the actual ankle bone and, you know, entirely changing the shape over time. 
um, which is why very often it is very painful for me to stand to walk um, and again has created some nerve problems but uh, you know it and and that's again <laughs> uh, part of the the practice part of the journey for me has been learning to uh, be okay that there are days where even though yesterday I could stand okay uh, but today I cannot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, today I woke up, put my feet on the floor and my body said, no. <laughs> so today is one of those days. Today is actually not one of those. Oh, days, okay. Okay. General, um, okay. You know, that flip-flopping because before I came to the practice, uh, and really started applying all of these lessons that I was really gaining, you know, through it, uh, it was not, I was not able to even speak about these things in the calm way that I am now. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, goodness. So in a practice where we do both sides, I always tell my students, you know, this side might look different than the other side. And I feel like people don't usually listen to me because they're like, no, I mean, it needs to look the same because we need to get the same. But <laughs> I love that because the sides don't have to be different. And I love that you mentioned, you know, warrior two, you're maybe on one side, you got your knee down because you don't want to stand on the foot or whatever. Yeah. Um, I love that holding space for your experience, even for the two sides of your body. Yeah. And that's one thing where I think in general, I try to, because we all teach from our own experiences, uh, you know, from, from, you know, what we know inherently and what we've learned over time. Um, and so in my own classes, I will say to kind of do things like match, you know, at least energetically try to match what's happening on each side, try and get into a similar shape or find a position that serves that. But I do also try to, you know, really go out of my way to impart that you can go completely rogue on this side. Uh, if, uh, you know, cause again, I, I live in, what is technically a very unbalanced body. And so what my right side needs is not the same as what my left side needs. So in order to create that balance, it's not about matching the pose. It's about finding the sensation that makes this side feel all right and finding the sensation that makes this side feel all right. I like what you said about matching the energetics because that's what's important. It's not necessarily the length of your stance or the modification that you're taking but more the intention as you're getting into the pose. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I love the going rogue. Go rogue on this side. Go yeah, rogue. no, everything, everything a yoga teacher says is nothing more than a suggestion. Right. You know, as, as teachers, we make suggestions, students make decisions. And a lot right. of students have no idea that they have that power. Right, um, or feel empowered to use the power. Exactly. Um, that permission that they don't need, but that we give mm -hmm. if they need it. Um, yeah, I love that. So tell me, when you do a grounded practice, do you focus mm -hmm. on like restorative? Do you do more kind of yin stuff? What does that look like for you? Uh, when I do like my own personal grounded practice, um, I do still try and lean towards more of a power practice 
uh, for myself. Um, just a because. grounded power <laughs> practice. Stephanie, tell yes. me about this. <laughs> uh, just again, because I find in my yoga practice, the most empowering thing of the asana practice for me, the physical practice of yoga is finding the use of my body. Because, you know, again, before, and I know I've been a broken record on this, I did not have this. And because I couldn't do things with my leg, and I was never really exposed to anything where I could do any kind of other accessible activity where, all right, maybe we take the leg out of the equation and, you know, we focus on upper body or, you know, so my whole body kind of went without use. Um, and so for me, the asana practice is me getting to move my body in some way, fashion or form. Um, as otherwise I do spend my entire day just about completely sedentary uh, to avoid wearing out the ankle and whatnot. Um, so when it comes to the, the physical practice and needing to be a little bit more grounded, I will find and explore ways to really physically get the body in some use. So whether that is, you know, and again, if I've got a day that's so bad where the foot does not want to touch the floor at all, uh, where any level of sensation on even the skin is too much, uh, three-legged chaturangas. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, focusing on back bends and strengthening through them, focusing on building up supporting muscles, uh, especially things like, um, you know, even three-legged bridge pose where I'm focusing on just strengthening the right leg as my yoga practice is something that I use kind of as a physical therapy as well. Because uh, again, uh, one of the only reliable ways that I can get things stretched and strengthened. Um, so I will still find a way to do, you know, uh, <laughs> like I said, a power practice, if that means dynamic movements through, you know, engaging and releasing certain muscle groups, uh, that is what I will do. Because I am a big believer that just because, and this goes to accessibility in yoga in general, uh, one of my biggest pet peeves in any given class <laughs> is a teacher offering an advanced asana, especially, uh, and then saying, all right, well, we're going to come into headstands. And if you don't want to do headstands, come into a child's pose. Uh, and I think overall, while the intention is always, you know, 100% there uh, in as far as protecting students, I believe in trying to find a way for students to find their expression of, again, energetically finding that asana. Because while someone's neck may not be in a state where they can do a headstand safely, they might still benefit from coming into even like a forearm stand, uh, or not a forearm stand, a, a dolphin pose, putting the yeah. forearm down. Um, or rabbit. Or, or rabbit pose, exactly. Um, you know, or even propping it up to come into a fully supported uh, headstand um, or uh, legs up the wall kind of thing. If the goal is to get the body or, you know, swap up the blood flow, uh, that there are lots of ways to still accomplish something that are not stopping or coming into a rested position, which yeah. is not to say that's at all wrong. Uh, but if that's something that you're coming up against, 
in your yoga practice, especially for people coming into it with various uh, physical concerns, it's not really empowering to be like, okay, well, you can participate or you can rest, uh, you know, every single time. Yeah. Um, and uh, I can totally get that uh, a lot of yoga teachers may not consider that, which, you know, if that's not something that's come up for them in their own practice, who's to say that they would know that that's something that students may be feeling. Yeah. Uh, but in my own classes, I do try to make every effort that I can to offer options that, you know, if you want to rest, you can take it. Absolutely. Uh, but if you want to find a way to express the body really physically in some way, we're going to find a way for you to do it safely. Yes, I love that. Instead of it being like one extreme or the other, what would it look like to offer options in the middle? Exactly. Yeah, because um, I can imagine how frustrating that might be, especially if you're not well-versed in yoga so that you can't give yourself the, those options. Because you and I know, you know, if we're in a class and the teacher offers something and they didn't give an option for us, we're going to do it anyway. Um, yes. Because we know we can. <laughs> But it must be frustrating. I can imagine that it might be frustrating if you don't have the knowledge to support yourself in that way and the teacher doesn't give you anything. Yes, 100%. And I, uh, I spent some time managing a yoga studio and I had lots of regulars that came in and anytime we would have a new student with some sort of physical, uh, you know, physical concern, um, always tried to work with them a little bit directly uh if of course they allow me to um to help them find what is empowering because i find uh especially as someone who has managed a studio gotten to work very kind of one-on-one -on -one and hands-on with students uh in my time <laughs> uh, one of the things that turns students away especially beginners from the practice as a whole is when they walk into a class and it is not uh you know they don't feel that it is any way accessible to them. Because um, it takes a lot of courage to step into a yoga class in the first place and then to uh, continually feel that not enoughness while in it, which is never true. Uh, <laughs> uh, however you arrive on your mat is more than enough, uh, is absolutely perfect. Um, but it is, especially when you are someone who uh, from a, a societal and a social standpoint, things are not built for you. Uh, you know, various forms of access or accessibility are just not there. Uh, to walk into a class where even someone may say, like in my instance, people were telling me, Steph, do yoga. It's not uh, super difficult on the joints, um, you know, it can be a more grounded practice. And I didn't believe them at first. And I did have a great experience when I first entered the practice. But if I had walked in and the teacher made me, you know, either I felt ignored, uh, you know, in my condition, or the teacher was cueing all of these, uh, you know, crazy advanced asanas, uh, which again, is great, uh, but there were no options that I felt that I could take advantage of. Well, what's the point of me going anymore? Uh, so I am absolutely blessed that I did walk into, uh, you know, my first class and feel like, uh, you know, this was something that I could do, even though I did spend most, <laughs> most of that first practice 
uh, you know, on the floor, on my knees, just looking around the room, like, what is going on? Uh, how do I, how do I make this happen? <laughs> uh, but I did feel empowered enough in that first class, uh, seeing a range of students and seeing that the teacher, you know, saw that I was struggling and would try and give some other option for it. Uh, you know, it, it made all of the difference. And to the best of my own ability, I, you know, vow every time I teach a class to try and hold that space for anyone who shows up. Absolutely. I think that's because representation matters, right? And yes. it's like you said, it takes so much courage to step into a space that you've never been in before. And then to feel like you might be watched and if you're doing it right, and like all of the things, all of the things. <laughs> um, and I feel like MVP does a really great job of ensuring that all of our teachers know how to hold space for an all levels class, Absolutely. that you're not going to feel excluded. Um, even in an online class, like I know, I know the students love your class, love your class. <laughs> um, so You've kind of led, led us a little bit into my next question, um, talking about accessibility for whether it's disabilities or whatever. If you don't mind sharing a little bit what it has felt like to you to live with something that's not necessarily visible, but absolutely impacts your experience, your existence. Yeah, absolutely. And I even have a, a bit of a recent experience to share as far as uh, what kind of reaffirming <laughs> for me what I don't ever want to do uh, in a yoga class. Um, but in general, uh, knowing that my disability is one that unless you really know what you're looking at, you don't know. <laughs> um, and unless I am having a day where I am not as steady on my feet, um, you may not know, as I did, uh, you know, train myself to intentionally walk without a limp just to avoid, uh, you know, creating pain elsewhere in the body. Um, uh, you know, it, it has been <laughs> a process, uh, but that has made it even less visible that there is something going on. Um, and so it is, you know, in, in live settings, it can be, you know, even now, I still have feelings of embarrassment uh, walking into a class and all of a sudden, you know, starting the class with my body feeling all right. And then in the midst of it, having a nerve flare in the ankle joint. And now all of a sudden, uh, while I was standing before, um, I'm not leaving the floor now. Uh, <laughs> and that self-conscious in your head feeling you get that like, you know, is anyone like what must these people think having seen me go from you know that to this uh, <laughs> um but i was really lucky uh before the pandemic i was teaching in a studio uh and all of my students knew um you know that at least I had, if they didn't know the exact things they knew that some days i was going to uh, teach standing up and walking around the room and there were some days where I had crutches and I was just sitting the whole time and they knew that if they had a question they had to actually speak up and say hey Steph uh, you know how might I do something like that um, or, or you know how how might I modify this 
uh, instead of being able to wave at me as I was walking past them kind of deal. Um, you know, it did improve my teaching ability in that uh, I got real good at giving people cues and helping them, uh, you know, find alignment without ever touching them, uh, which has uh, come in handy as not all people feel right with hands-on adjustments. Um, I, I, it goes both ways. <laughs> Um, but I did have a experience recently where uh, I just felt so completely othered um, in a live class that I attended. This was a few months ago at a local studio, hadn't really been to it before, but this teacher was one who would stop and uh, break down poses every now and then. Um, but again, my physical practice does not always look like anyone else's. And the alignment that is safe for me because of the structural differences is not necessarily what is safe for anyone else. And the places where I get stuck on it being an invisible disability is places when, uh, you know, a teacher sees that. Uh, and of course, in an Ashtanga based class, uh, things like alignment are pointed out <laughs> quite a bit more than um, in other style classes, which is usually something I'm generally okay with. But I had it, I had this teacher who I had never practiced before see my leg positioning in an upward facing dog, where from a structural standpoint, the left leg is twisted a little bit. It, it is slightly rotated. And so when I come up, that left side, uh, the heel spins almost all the way out to the left side. Uh, which um, from a super alignment focused standpoint uh, is one that would be corrected in many instances. Uh, however, that is my alignment. That is the only alignment that I am capable of on that side. Uh, but this teacher came over and used me as an example to try and correct this, that, you know, your heels, which again, I'm not even a believer that they have to be, uh, <laughs> but your heels have to be uh, coming inwards in order to keep uh, various parts of the body safe and um, actually put her hands on my ankle to try and move it. And I, I wish I could say that I said something, uh, you know, looking back on it, I, feel a little bit of shame in that I shut down an embarrassment, <laughs> which is not at all, you know, like that's, that's not me. She, she was in the wrong. Uh, but I couldn't, at that point, it was so embarrassing for me because I didn't tell her beforehand that I had anything going on, um, which uh, I usually do. <laughs> Uh, just to let teachers know why my body is, you know, why I'm going quote unquote rogue, uh, <laughs> uh, but used me to fix the rest of the class when it was alignment that was never right, never safe for me. And I feel comfortable saying that that teacher was not a great one. Uh, <laughs> you know, in the yoga practice, we try not to judge and I make every effort not to judge, uh, but that was wrong. Uh, <laughs> You know what? 
we can recognize <laughs> that we're spiritual beings that are also in a human experience and exactly we live amongst others and there are things you do and there are things you don't do exactly and that's one uh, of them <laughs> yes that is everything that in any training situation that i have been in uh red flagged immediately uh, so I have not returned to that teacher. I have not returned to that studio. I will not. Uh, <laughs> My dear friend, I am so sorry you had that experience. Yes, um, but these are things that people with disabilities, visible and otherwise, uh, do contend with when they go anywhere in the world. But these are especially situations that when we are holding yoga space, we want to create a safe, accepting space. And just saying that this is a safe space is not enough. What are you, what efforts are you making to create a safe space uh, as a teacher? Um, and what efforts are you even as a student doing to create a safe space for yourself? And for me in that instance, that is not going anywhere near that studio again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, uh, I know that these things happen. I know that they happen uh, frequently. And I know that, um, that's not how I want to make anyone feel ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, how that makes me so sad. It's sucky. Uh, <laughs> like it makes me feel indignant. Like how dare she? Yeah. How dare she? Um, yeah. But again, not everyone has had our training. <laughs> not everyone has lived as mm -hmm. someone who's been othered for a long time if not your entire life yeah my yeah well, and that is one of the amazing things about mvp and their uh you know not just the classes we offer i know i'm familiar with the online uh aspect of it um you know i can believe that it happens in studio as well uh but through the trainings such a focus on uh not so much strict alignment because strict alignment is not right for everybody uh, and one person's strict alignment is not the same as another person's strict alignment. Um, you know, that there is such an emphasis put on uh, finding a pose that is right for the individual. And how do you guide people into poses without making them feel like, well, if I can't, if I can't get my knee over my ankle in a warrior two, I'm not doing a warrior two. Uh, <laughs> got nothing to do with it. Um, but I love the emphasis that MVP as a whole places on that, um, to avoid othering students. I think it brings, always brings me back to like, it's pro projection free. Like that teacher was projecting onto you 100%. Mm -hmm. She was just, and not thinking about it. It's not about her. It wasn't about her. <laughs> and if you were fine, like, Yes, it is not about us as the teacher. We mm -hmm. are containers to hold space for our students as they are. Exactly. As they are. Because yeah. we know Iyengar hurt himself making light on yoga. Even he shouldn't have been doing that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> everyone has poses that are for them and poses that are not for them. And that's okay. Yes, uh, so beautifully put. And I have to say, Michaela, your classes um, as far as uh, you know, my lived experiences, um, you know, you do a fantastic job of offering uh, lots of different variations for, you know, 
making something maybe a little bit softer on the body, but also offering something, <laughs> also offering things for people who want to take it a little bit further to change the sensation. Um, and I, I love your classes. <laughs> Steffi, thank you. I appreciate you. Of course. I appreciate you. Well, I mean, like you said, I don't ever want someone to feel the way that you felt mm -hmm. ever. That would just, that would be something I have nightmares about every night <laughs> until I die. You know what I mean? One of those things that like comes up in your head and you're like, God, I can't believe I did that. Um, but I think that that's a beautiful, a beautiful, like kind of end cap to our conversation, like making sure everyone who's listening, whether you're a student or you're a teacher to hold that space for not only yourself, but for your students, that yeah. alignment's non-dogmatic, that the practice is non-dogmatic. Are there any other ways that you might suggest for us as a community to to grow and be better in that aspect. Not MVP specifically, just yeah, yoga. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, as far as the yoga community goes, um, you know, it's a little it's a little hard to like pinpoint anything. Uh, just because, as as a whole, there are so many things that need to be tackled uh, in the yoga community at large. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it is enough to start as individuals to, uh, you know, and especially if you are a member of the teaching portion of the yoga community, uh, so important to try and uh, empathize and understand experiences outside of your own. Um, and uh, one thing that I encourage every single student that I've worked with in the past, as far as teacher trainings, not just in uh, MVP, but uh, you know, all of my time before that training students is try and develop, you know, not, not miming different physical, uh, you know, limitations, but trying to move through a practice as if you have something, uh, you know, a little bit that needs to be either cared for or a little bit more tender in. So even imagining that if your ankle was hurt and you couldn't stand, how are you going to go through a practice and physically going through that yourself, if you are of course capable of it, but um, you know, it is of course enough to try and mentally list it out, but to well, I'm not a believer, you should have to experience a thing to be able to empathize with it. Uh, you know, the reality is, is a lot of people don't understand it until it happens in here. Uh, so moving through, uh, you know, again, at least from an accessibility standpoint is not just studying or Googling what it is to be able to modify a posture or uh, different language or verbiage to get people in and out of things without triggering uh, trauma or feelings around uh, physical limitations that may exist. And trying to go through it yourself as if that was a thing um, can go a really long way into actually understanding how to hold 
a better space for the students who do show up on it. Um, and keeping lines of communication open with your students. Uh, you know, because I, I really can't think of ways that as a as a whole community, we can stop othering people with uh, various, uh, you know, different physical expression needs. Uh, <laughs> um, because there is a lot that needs to be tackled there. But trying to improve your ability as an individual does help that it does help grow the community at large and help people who if they happen to walk into your class and feel really super empowered in this one if they do go somewhere where they do feel othered uh, or aren't given options they now have you know maybe you have been able to impart into them a little bit of empowerment to be able to you know take it with them either to know that this isn't a space for me that I want to be involved in uh, and even speak up about that kind of thing, which again, my greatest regret is that I went to that class and I didn't say anything, uh, not for myself, but for future students. Um, but I can't go back. <laughs> I can't undo what I didn't do. Uh, <laughs> um, but finding ways to actually explore and experience different postures uh, to practice using different verbiage um, and to talk with. And if you have the ability to work with someone with some sort of a physical limitation, uh, to talk one-on-one -on -one with them to see what their needs are. Because uh, I think by individually fixing, and again, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> But altering, um, altering your abilities there uh, is what helps to grow and create a safer space in the community at large. I mean, that's, that's a great way to put it, because like you said earlier, when we were chatting, um, we only know yoga from our lived experience. Um, and can we, can we blame people for what they don't know? Exactly. Um, on the other side, can we forgive them for what they don't know or choose not to know? Because sometimes it is a choice. Certainly is. <laughs> um, that's so great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steffi, for sharing. Are there any other final thoughts, feelings, blinding flashes of insight that you want to share with the audience before we part ways? I don't think so. I think, okay. I think I got it all out. <laughs> I mean, we had a beautiful conversation. I think we kind of came to the you know, the understanding that nothing's required of a yoga practice, right? Mm -hmm. The arriving is what is important. What you do after that doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, and if you, if, if you arrive on your mat and you spend the whole time in child's pose, because that's what you needed, you've done the practice. You. <laughs> that is the practice. The choice yeah. to not do is the practice. Exactly. Um, you know, so, so take what you want um, from it always, yeah. um, you know, and again, uh, no matter what any yoga teacher may tell you, you have permission, you have authority to go rogue on your mat. <laughs> yes. You have authority to go rogue. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Steffi, thank you so much for sharing for your vulnerability and just 
just all of your wisdom. I appreciate you so much. It's been a pleasure. Um, yes. Any, do you want to say goodbye to our listeners? No, just thank you so much for uh, spending this time and uh, listening and, and learning. Um, and I hope we all get to listen and continue to learn together. <laughs> yes. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. Have a great rest of your day.